message today, as they already put it up, is called The Waiting Game. Um, we, uh, we all love to wait, right? <laughs> that was sarcastic. Uh, I did a little bit of research, actually, uh, heading into this, and I, I found that up to two years of a human's life is spent waiting. That's brutal. And uh, sometimes I feel like we spend two years every three years waiting. Uh, it's spent waiting in lines or on hold or um, uh, what was the other one? In traffic. Uh, up to two years of your life we spend waiting. And, uh, you know, there's really no way to get around waiting. We're always having to wait on something, you know. If in the mornings you're waiting for the coffee to brew or you're waiting for the Keurig to heat up, you know, or you're waiting for the, somebody to reply to that really, really important text that you sent. So you're just waiting, staring at your phone, and you're actually getting that thing while you're waiting for them to type it. You just can't wait for the actual text to pop up. Um, we're waiting all the time, and uh, there's, really, there's really no way around it. In fact, I, I went around, I did kind of an informal poll when I knew I was going to be sharing on this, and asked a bunch of people, like, what do they hate to wait for the most? And what I'd say the top five things were that I heard, the first one was, one of them was traffic, of course. We all, who road rage is a very real thing, amen? And uh, even for Christians sometimes. And uh, we, we don't like waiting in traffic. Columbia County is getting worse and worse all the time, and you hear about it all the time because people just get annoyed and we have to wait all the time. Uh, com a slow computer was a big one. How impatient are we? We, you know, if that's that we call it the spinning wheel of death in the center of your screen. If it's doing that for more than 10 seconds, I'm Xing out. I gave you a shot, you couldn't do it, I'm out. So uh, it's actually embarrassing to admit how impatient we can be sometimes, right? Uh, Drive-throughs are another one, you know, nothing's worse than when you pull up to that second window thinking you're getting your food and they come out and say, I'm sorry, could you pull forward, please? While we cook your food that's supposed to be fast but really isn't. Uh, we can get really annoyed by that. Uh, what was one of the, oh, the doctor's office. Ooh. Doctors, if you're here in the house today, I don't understand why you schedule me for one o'clock when you're really not going to see me till three. I don't get it. But if I show up at three, I'm too late. You say I have to come back. So it, it doesn't make sense. We, we just spent a lot of time waiting in the doctor's office. Amen. But we forgive you because you are healing the world. So praise God for you. Um, but we're still a little bitter. Uh, and then the last one was amusement park rides. Yeah, that one's especially hurts because you know you just plunked down a ton of money to go stand out in the sun and wait in a line for an hour. That, one's, that one can be brutal. Uh, but, you know, these, these parks, Six Flags, Disney, Universal, they're making a mint off the fact that we don't like to wait in lines because now they have the easy pass or the fast pass, one of the greatest inventions of all time because there's nothing better than when you go and you're getting ready and you go to see the, it says 55 minutes for this ride and you got a fast pass and you can just give it to that person. You get to go on this side and you get to walk past all those people that are waiting in line. And you know, uh, Joy and I just took the kids to Universal over spring break and we had those. And there's just something ornery in me that just wants to look at everybody as I'm walking by them and go, you know. But then it's really rough when I'm in that line and somebody else is doing it, I wanna trip them, you know. But they're making a lot of money on the fact that we don't like to wait, amen. But you know, it's, it is, life is set up to wait. And we actually, in some ways, we actually understand that because you know, when you're young, you can't wait to drive. I remember thinking, God, don't come back till I can drive. And then I got my license. It was really cool. And then I was like, okay, God, don't come back till I graduate. Well, actually, you can come back before I graduate because then I'll be out of school anyway. But we really want to graduate, you know. And then the next thing is, oh, I really want to get married. And then you get married, and you're like, oh, I really want to have kids. And then you have kids, you're like, oh, I really want to have grandkids. And everybody says grandkids are better than actual kids. So we all want to have grandkids. And then, you then oh, God, I really want to retire. You know, there's, there's this process to life. A progression that we're always waiting for something 
And, you know, we actually, we understand it. We don't really like it, but we're, we understand it because we under, there has to be a level of maturity. Obviously, you can't graduate until you've actually know enough to be considered a real graduate. So we understand those things. I think where we get bogged down is that sometimes we don't understand why we have to wait for God so much. You know, anybody here waiting for God right now? I am. We're always waiting for God. It doesn't seem like there's any way around it. And you know why we're waiting for God is because we are always in process. Always. And God designed it that way. You know, we'd like to skip over process sometimes and just get to the end to where we can get what we want. But that's not how God works typically, is it? Because he has a process for us because his desire is that we would grow through the situations that we're in. And I know as a parent, when my kid comes to me and says, Dad, I got to have an iPhone today. My thought is, no, you don't. You know, and we will make our kids wait for things because sometimes we know what? It's just good for them. It's good for you to have to wait a little bit so you can learn to appreciate. Maybe you can even save up some of the money and pay for it. How about, boy, that's a novel thought. And so we as parents know that. How much more does God know that about us? That there's things that we think we need right away and God's saying, just be patient, trust me. You know, he builds patience in us as we learn how to wait, even though we don't really want to. And the, and the, the, the reason is simple, because we, are, we live in a fallen world with finite bodies and there's always going to be something, whether it's health-related or emotionally or financially, physically, uh, spiritually, there's always going to be something that we are waiting on because we're never going to fully arrive. There's nobody sitting here today that would say, you know what, I have every single thing I need. Everyone I love has everything they need. I'm perfect. I'm just, I'm good. I don't need anything. There's, that's never happened. If you think that, you're kind of deceiving yourself. We're all in the process of waiting for something, and it's the way God designed it. He designed it for that purpose. Um, I actually entitled this message, The Waiting Game, because the character of God causes us to play the waiting game all the time with him. Now, let me be clear. God's not playing games with us, okay? Because when you talk about playing games, it kind of sounds like manipulation. You know, we'll play games with each other to manipulate. God doesn't do that. He doesn't manipulate. He's not a game player. He's not a gamer. God doesn't play Fortnite. Sorry, kids. That's not who he is. But I looked up the definition of waiting, uh, waiting game thinking maybe it was in the dictionary, and sure enough, it is. In Webster's Dictionary, look at this definition, and this is perfect. It says, a strategy in which one or more participants withhold action temporarily in the hope of having a favorable opportunity for more effective action later. That's the literal definition of the waiting game, and that is exactly what God does in our lives. He withholds temporarily for the hopes of a better more effective solution later. I think that's amazing because that's exactly what God does. You know, when we think of withholding, you know, God doesn't withhold just for the purpose of withholding. You know, humans do that. We will do that. We'll say, you know, I'm keeping this just because I don't want you to have it. And we'll withhold something just so we can have control. That's not who God is. He withholds for that purpose. He withholds temporarily to give a favorable opportunity for more effective action later. So what he's doing is he's making us wait so that we can have more effective action later. And that's his purpose for us. Because his desire for us is, it's more important for him that we learn through the process, that we grow in our relationship with him than to just give us what we want. Because how many of you know when you just get something given to you without having to uh, earn it or wait for it or work for it, you really don't appreciate it so much. In fact, the one day, the first, we went to Universal for two days. The first day we were there, it was supposed to rain. And it was a little cool and nobody was there. We, we had those fast passes. We didn't even need them the first day. We walked on almost every ride. And what I found myself thinking, walking on these rides was, I almost didn't even appreciate it so much because I was thinking, man, I didn't have to wait. You know, I, I felt, I almost felt like I did something wrong. 
because I was just able to walk on these rides. You know, it's almost there's something to the fact of, of having to, to wait for it and to, to, uh, to learn how to uh, stand on truth when it comes to waiting on things from God. You know, learn how to uh, study his word and know him and grow in our relationship with him to, until, until we get that promise that he's given us. Um, I wanted to give you an example from my own life that I, that I feel is relevant in this. You know, when a lot of you know that I spent about five years in a missions organization, and that's where I met Joy, where we got, got together. And uh, when we decided to get married, we, we decided to leave that organization and, and come live here. And I hadn't, I hadn't left that organization for two weeks, I think. And I got a call from my home church up in Ohio. They heard that I was leaving. And they said, hey, our youth pastor just moved on to something else. We want to offer you the youth pastor job at our church. I knew the Lord had called me to ministry. He called me. It was very clear. I didn't really have any desire to be in ministry before the Lord called me. So I knew it wasn't me. So the Lord called me. And so when I stepped, we just stepped out in faith to step out of this. When I got that call, I said, oh, man, that's the Lord. That's God. He's just moving us right to the next thing. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to climb the ladder there, and I'm going to do great things. And Joy and I prayed about it, and the Lord very quickly said, no. And I was frustrated, and I asked why, and he didn't tell me why. <laughs> but he said no, and we knew it. And so I actually had to call him back and turn it down. And it was, I remember the phone call. It was difficult for me. And remember, I remember the guy on the other line was even a little surprised, you know. And uh, I was frustrated for a while. But you know what? The Lord kept us out of ministry then for about 13, 14 years before he released us back into ministry here at New Hope. And what I know now, looking back in hindsight, is that that would have been a big mistake for me to have taken that job. That would have been me kind of taking matters into my own hands and doing it, frankly, because I wasn't even ready for it. I thought I was, yeah, I was 26, 27, thought I, you know, the world was my oyster. I was going to fix everybody there and you know, get the whole city saved. And it was, it's ridiculous. I realize now that I had a lot to learn before the Lord could actually put us in that position. So, uh, so there's always a process in our life and God, God calls us, asks us to trust him in the midst of that process. Amen. So what I want to do today is I want to give you, uh, three ways that we know that, and how we wait. You know, there's a, there's a, a right way to wait and there's a wrong way to wait. It's very clear. And this is the thing we have to understand church. If we don't understand how to wait, if we don't understand the character of God when it comes to waiting, waiting can actually be a breeding ground for fear, for frustration, for anger, for completely turning our back on God. Many people have turned their back on God because they didn't know how to wait for him. And so we have to understand how to wait for God because there is a right and a wrong way. And so I want to give you three things, and three ways that we wait for God. And the first one is that we wait expectantly. Everyone say expectantly. We wait expectantly for God. Did you know it is okay to be expectant when we wait? It's okay to expect God to do what he said he's going to do. In fact, he tells us to do that. We have to believe and not doubt. Otherwise, James tells us that we're like a wave tossed by the wind. We're called to believe and to expect that he's going to move on our behalf and do what, what he says he's going to do. Look what it says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25. This is in the Amplified. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait confidently for him, to those who seek him on the authority of God's word. So that tells me there that it makes a difference if I wait for God confidently. Like waiting is not just about kicking my feet up and sipping on some sweet tea and just waiting for God to do his thing. That's not, what, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about an act of waiting, about seeking him, about standing on his word, standing on his truth. And, and it even says there, uh, that those who seek him on the authority of God's word. So while we wait, if we want God to be good to us while we wait, we, we stand on the authority of God's word. 
But to do that, we have to know his word, don't we? So we got to be in his word. We got to be constantly pursuing him and being expectant for him to move on our behalf. Because you can't just expect God to move just on something because you want it. We have to understand what God's heart is, don't we? And the only way to understand God's heart is to seek him. It's to pursue him. It's to go after him. It's not to kick back and just say, God's going to do it. And I don't have to worry about anything. We have to pursue him. And, and what, what, the way we err a lot of times as Christians is we have this thing that we want. You know, I'll use the example of like a job. I got a job. I don't like it. I'm not getting paid enough. So I just think I just need to get out of that job and get a new one. So I'm, I'm just waiting for God to give me a new job. And God didn't give me a job this year. So now I'm frustrated. Well, it's a new year. I'll give him one more year. He didn't give me a job this year. Now I'm really frustrated. Some people end up turning their back or they take matters into their own hands. But the truth of the matter is God never so- told you he's going to give you a new job. You just got frustrated, so you just made your own mind up that this is what I want to do. When in reality, God may say, no, I want you to stay where you are. I want you to, to grow where you're planted. I want you to be a light in that place. And who knows, maybe he'll move your boss on. You'll get a new boss that's really great, your favorite person in the world. And that person sees how hard you work, and they give you a raise, and everything's wonderful. But you missed it because you refused to wait on God because he didn't come through the way you thought he should come through. Yeah. We have to be willing to let God come through in the way he wants to come through in our situations. Now, if God promises you something and he gives you a word and he said, this is what I'm going to do, then you hang on to that thing like grim death. You don't ever let go of that thing. You white knuckle it. And if anybody tries to tell you different, you say, this is what God spoke to me. And we stand on that word and we believe it and we're expectant that God is going to do it. But we have to be willing to pursue him. You know, Peter tells us in in 2 Peter 1, 5, it says to add to your faith. He says to, to work to add to your faith. We are, we are called to make every effort, actually is what Peter says, to add to our faith. And I know we get into that works thing, and people are like, no, no, it's all about grace. It is. For salvation, it's all about grace. For forgiveness, it's all, that's all about grace. But it doesn't mean we just get to sit back and let the grace of God just flow over. He's saying, Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith. We've got to work for it. We've got to go after it. If we want to really know how to wait on God the way he wants us to wait on. Amen. All right, so the next one is trustingly. Everyone say trustingly. Yes, I looked it up. That is a real word. I know we don't use it very often, but trustingly is how we wait. We, we trust God when we wait for him. And you know what? We can't be expectant if we don't trust him. So these two kind of go together. You can't be expectant that somebody's going to do something for you if you don't trust him. You know, if you don't trust your dad, you're not going to expect him to do what you want him to do because you don't trust him. So we have to be willing to trust where we're being expectant. And I want to, I want to share with you, a little bit with you about Abram to kind of explain this. Because, you know, Abram, he, he showed us how to wait. Uh, consequently, he also showed us how not to wait, which I'll get into a little later. But before Abraham was Abraham, he was Abram. And, you know, God came to him and made a promise to him about his descendants. And I, I want to read this in Genesis 15, verses 5 to 6. It says, he took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. When I watch this, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. God promised Abraham a great thing here, or Abram. He promised him a great thing, but he also promised him he's going to have to wait. He said, so shall your offspring be. That's future tense. It's not today. He said, Abram, Abram, you're going to have a great offspring, but it's going to come down the road a little bit. You're going to have to trust me. He told Abram, you're going to have to wait. But then it says that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, now I want you guys to see this. That phrase, Abram believed God, is a very small, small phrase, but it, it packs a huge punch. 
Because see, there's a big difference in believing in God and believing God. You know, most or all of us in this room probably believe in God. We believe in him. Most of us even probably believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he came to this earth and he lived a sinless life and he, he died on the cross for our sins to, to purchase forgiveness for our sins. And three days later, he rose again and is at the right hand of the father making intercession for us. Most of us probably believe that because we believe in God and we believe that that is true. But there's, a, there's another step that comes after that when it talks about actually believing God. This is about believing the words of God. This is about believing what he says and being able to stand on it and say, yes, I believe that. Believing what he says in his word and believing what he says to you. And this is, this is so incredible, the power of this verse here, because it says that God credited to Abram as righteousness. Okay, in the New Testament, we're living in the New Covenant, right? We're living in the, BC, or the AD, after Jesus. The righteousness that we get, the Bible's very clear, righteousness, we are the righteousness of Christ. Because of what Jesus did, we have that righteousness. If we, if we invite him into our life, we get his righteousness in us. God does not see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus in us when we give ourselves to him. Okay, so in the Old Testament, the sins separated man from God, right? Because there was no sacrifice for our sins from Jesus yet. The very fact that Abram just believed God, God said, that's good. I'm going to credit you. I'm going to credit that as righteousness for you because he believed him. That's, that's incredible, the power that God, that God displayed in that moment in, in, in saying what he said to Abram there. He didn't say like, Abram, that's good that you believe me. And just so you know, when Jesus comes, he's going to be able to forgive you of your sins. He didn't say that. He said, you believe me, that's righteousness. I'm giving you righteousness. I'm crediting you. I'm, I'm seeing righteousness in you. The same righteousness he sees in us because of what Jesus did for us. How powerful is that? That he believed the word of God. We, he, he asked the same thing of us. Will you believe me? He's asking you today, will you believe me? If you believe me, the world will open up for you. You'll see things you never thought you could see, but you have to believe me. And if we believe him, like he did, like Abram did, we know that he will credit us as righteousness. Amen. Give God praise for that. It's worthy of praise. And consequently, if we don't always believe him and we just believe in him, we're actually compared to demons because it says the demons believe in God and shudder. Okay. Now it's not saying you're a demon if you just believe in God, but it's not, let's just say it's not that impressive. We should believe in God. If, if you live on this, this earth, we should all believe in God. Amen. He makes himself known through his creation, the Bible says. So it's, it's more than just believing in him. We have to actually believe him and believe what he says. Okay, the third one is that we wait actively. Everyone say actively. Okay, that sounds like a contradiction, waiting actively, but it's absolutely not. In fact, this is my favorite one because I believe it gives us a really good tool moving forward. So after God came and promised Abram that he was going to make his descendants as numerous as the stars, he also told him that he was going to inherit the land. Uh, the, the promised land is what it became known as. Um, and so when he, he promised him that, and then this is Abram's response in Genesis 15, the same chapter, verses 8 to 11. It says, but Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And then look at this. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. 
So here's the, here's the deal. Abram, God tells Abram, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confirm my covenant with you. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to get a couple of animals. I want you to cut them in half. I know it sounds kind of gruesome, but it was sacrificing these animals. And God was going to come down. And he was going to confirm his covenant with Abram. Okay, well, the Bible says that birds of prey came and Abram was having to shoo them off. You know, I picture him taking, getting like a big stick and just hitting buzzards, you know, and trying to get them to get away from his stuff. That, what that tells me is that Abram was having to wait. Because God told him to do this. And he's sitting there waiting, and here come these birds. You know, birds aren't going to find something immediately. It takes some time. So Abram's waiting, and I'm sure he's sitting there going, okay, God, I did what you told me to do, now I'm having to shoo these buzzards away. He did exactly what God told him to do, yet God made him wait. And in fact, this chapter goes on to say that uh, as the sun was setting, which implies he was having to wait till the sun was even going down, that he went, fell into a deep sleep, and God spoke to him some more. And then it actually says that at, when, after the sun had fully set, then God finally came and confirmed that covenant with Abram. So Abram had to wait for this promise, for what God was going to promise him, even though he did exactly what he was told. And I, I'm here to tell you today, those birds of prey, that represents the enemy in your life and mine. And if God has given you a promise and he's given you instruction and, and you're waiting on that promise, I can guarantee you today that the way the enemy is going to come and attack you is that exact promise that God's given you. So whatever you're waiting on from God, that is the place that the enemy is going to come to try to discourage you. Because you know why? If he can discourage you in the promise of God and get you to believe that this ain't, you didn't do it right or something, then that's going to completely derail what we're doing for the Lord. He's going to completely discourage us and make us feel like, what did I do wrong? Abram could have very easily sat there and just been like, watch the birds take away his carcasses and said, God, what are you doing? I did exactly what you said. But he took something and shooed these birds away. If you want to see the promise of God fulfilled in your life, you better grab a stick and shoo away those birds of prey because they're going to come and they're going to attack the exact promise that God has given you. And I know some of you are sitting there going, that's exactly what's happening to me right now. That is exactly what's happening because he's going to, because if God's given you a promise, that's something you care about. He doesn't promise us stuff we don't care about, you know? He doesn't promise, uh, he doesn't promise me that I'm going to have more green beans in my cabinet. I don't care about the green beans, you know? He promises us things that we actually care about. So he's, it's going to be something you care about, so that's what the enemy is going to come and try to take or try to attack and cause you to get discouraged. So that's why we have to wait actively. When we wait, we don't just sit around. We wait with our stick. And that stick is standing on the Word of God. It's standing on the promises of God. It's not believing the lies of the enemy, and it's, it's going after whoever's trying to attack that promise. In Jesus' name, amen? So, amen. Praise God. So when we're waiting for God, there's, there's a verse in Isaiah that everybody loves. I'm going to read it, and most of you are even going to know it. We love to quote it because it's very encouraging and promising for us. It's in Isaiah 40, verses 30 to 31. It says, Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. This waiting here, some of you might say, I've been waiting for the Lord for a long time, and I don't feel that. I don't feel my strength renewed. I feel weak and hopeless and stumbling and the exact opposite of that. Then I'm going to tell you today, and please know my heart when I say this, but if that's how you feel, then you are not waiting right. Because that weight in that, in that verse is, is not a passive sitting back with your arms crossed waiting for God to do his thing. It is an active, aggressive waiting. It's a very proactive waiting waiting. It's getting in to the word. It's getting in. It's seeking God. It's, it's pursuing your relationship with him to draw your strength from him. 
It's preparing the soil around you to make sure that when that, when that promise is fulfilled, that it'll be in good soil. That's what that verse means in Isaiah 40. So when you claim that verse in your life, know that you're claiming, God, I'm going to work my tail off to get myself ready for when you prom- fulfill your promise in my life. That's what it means. I, I compare it to like having a garden. I know most of us don't have gardens today, and we don't either, but my parents had one when I was a kid, and we used to have to work like crazy to prepare this soil for the garden. And then once the plants started growing, we'd have to go out and pull weeds. Nothing made me madder than in June when I'm supposed to be having a good time with my friends because school's out. My mom says, you got to pull weeds in the garden. Let me tell you, I didn't do that one time with a good attitude. I can promise you that. (laughs) But we had to do it. You had to pull the weeds or they'll overtake the, the plants. We couldn't actually make the corn grow. We couldn't make the tomatoes grow. We couldn't make the green beans grow, but we did everything around it to make sure that they could grow. And that's what we do in our life. We can't make the promise of God come to fruition in our life, but we can make sure the ground around it is prepared, that we're doing our job to make sure the weeds are pulled, that the soil is watered, that the pesticide is put down, that we're not letting the bugs take over. That's what waiting actively means. And that's how we are called to wait. And you can have strength in your waiting. You don't have to be downcast. You don't have to be, oh, woe is me. We can wait actively knowing because we know that God, if he says it, he's going to do it. The Bible says that God said, I am not a man that I should lie. He's never lied. He never will. If he told us something, he's going to do it. We just have to make sure we're willing to wait. Amen? So uh, I, I want to I jump into one more thing, and I'm going to do it quickly because I'm running out of time, but I, I really felt it was important that I share this with you too because uh, there, there are lies that the enemy will tell us while we're waiting. You know? And so I want to give you three lies that I think are really pertinent and relevant and how the enemy will attack us when we wait. I told, talked about those birds of prey coming down. Those come in different forms. And uh, I want to give you three of those really quickly. The first one that we believe that the enemy will give us is that God doesn't care about you or he's forgotten. That's a big one. That's where the whole, you know, nothing ever changes in my life. Everything's always the same. That's where that attitude comes from. We believe that God's forgot us, forgotten us, or he just doesn't care. Or he's too busy. He's doing other stuff. Doesn't have time to worry about little old me. That is a lie straight from the devil. We would rather have a pity party sometimes than to really have to pick ourselves up and say, no, I'm going to stand on the word of God. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Never means never. That's it. It doesn't matter how you feel in a certain day. We've all felt like God ain't there. We've all felt like when I pray, it's just going up and hitting the ceiling, coming right back down. We've all felt that way. It doesn't change the truth though. And we have to be willing to not let our our feelings and our emotions be ruling the day. We let the word of God rule the day, right? And see, it's very dangerous when we get in this place of feeling like, oh, God just forgot, or God doesn't care, you know. When we get in that place, we're very, very dangerous because what happens is we end up taking matters into our own hands. If you think God promised you something, you know, like, oh, like the job thing, you know, like, oh, I've been waiting for God to give me a job, he hasn't done it, so I'm just going to do it myself. That's a dangerous place to go to to, to try to take a matter like this into your own hands when God has told you to wait. And we go back to Abram. I mentioned that Abram showed us how to wait. He also showed us how not to wait. And, you know, he, he got the promise from God when he was 75 years old. Ten years had gone by, nothing. Nothing happened. Sarah still didn't have a kid. Now he's 85, at least, maybe 86. Finally, Sarah comes to him and says, listen, this ain't happening. Just take my maidservant Hagar here and have a baby with her. So Abram does it. And we know that the only reason he did it was because he was discouraged. It doesn't say that. It doesn't have to. We know that he's, he basically concluded that, well, okay, this isn't working out. We've been waiting 10 years, so I'm just going to go ahead and do my thing. And you know what came from that was Ishmael. And Ishmael and the, the Jews have been having trouble ever since. So 
We have to be very careful not to think that God has forgotten us because God does not forget. You know, it took 25 years for the promise God gave Abram to be fulfilled in Isaac. 25 years. That's a long time. God doesn't forget, and he certainly cares. He wouldn't have died on the cross for you if he didn't care. He, wouldn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't go down the cross and then forget about us 2,000 years later. That's not how he works. That would have been a big old waste of time, right? So don't believe that lie. The second one is no one else has ever had to wait like me. No one has ever had to wait. You know, my kids, my kids complain about, you know, other kids getting something or their sibling getting something and they don't have it. And I got to be honest with you, when they do it, I just kind of mock them. I fake cry. I'm like, <laughs> I cry with them. I don't know if that makes me a bad parent, but it's fun. Because <laughs> it's so ridiculous, you know? And, uh, but, and we, we all would agree with that. But then we do that in, in, our, in our own life with other adults. We think, oh, you know, I've been waiting for this for so long. And this guy over here got it in a week, you know? Well, I don't know. Nobody ever has to wait like I do. I've always got to wait more, which is an absolute absurd conclusion. And let me tell you, anytime we get into comparing ourselves with others, we are in, in a major minefield if we're worried about comparing ourselves to others. Because well, no matter what that other person got, you don't know what they're waiting for God for. Right we're all waiting for God. They might be waiting for something a lot worse than what, or a lot more yeah. traumatic or tough or, uh, you know, kind of situation that's really weighing on them than what you're waiting for. You just don't know. So we can't compare ourselves to other people and what they're waiting for and worry about it. You know, I, I compare, the Bible talks about having childlike faith. I think sometimes we have childish faith. You know, we just want God to kind of do it for us. Then we get mad when he doesn't because we're seeing other people. The Bible tells us, do not, do not be jealous or stress out about what other people are getting. Because you don't know what they're dealing with. God's got a purpose for you. He's got a process for you. He's got a plan for you. And you have to be able to trust the plan that he has for you, not for Joe over here. Because he's got, he's got something specific for you. He's a very individual God. He doesn't love us as a big group. He loves us as individuals. That's the beauty of our salvation is when I, I feel like I got saved when I finally realized God wants a personal relationship with me, yeah. not with my church. He wants it with me. Yeah. So if he wants that relationship with you, that means he's got a plan for you, and he's not, he's not trying to stick it to you by giving somebody else over here something that you wanted. Yeah. But we can rationalize that in our head sometimes, can't we? Thinking that that's exactly what God's doing when we know that he isn't. So don't believe that lie either. And then the third lie is that God is punishing me. Oh, I'm, not, I'm either not praying enough or my past has finally caught up with me. My chickens have come home to roost. That's why I'm not getting, I'm, that's why God's making me wait so long. I'm just not getting what, I, what I'm supposed to get because God's just not, he's punishing me. Let me tell you, that's not how God works. That's not the character of God. God doesn't punish us for our past. Now, are there consequences to our sin? Absolutely. But I can tell you without question that God forgives our sins. And 1 John 1, 9 says that when we confess our sins, God forgives it, and then he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So if he's cleansing us, he can't use it against us later. He can't say, ah, I'll cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. Ooh, but you did that. No, mm -mm. I would have really cleansed you if you just did a little bit, but you did a lot. And so I can't cleanse you from all that. That's not our God. If he cleanses us, he cleanses us. And we don't miss out. God doesn't make us wait because he's punishing us for something we did in the past. Especially if we've thrown that under the, under the blood of Jesus. It's forgiven. It's gone. The Bible says he separates it as far as the east is from the west. That's infinity. You can't even see it. He chooses not to remember it ever again. So that's not how... Look at the story of Ishmael. 
for a great example, and this is even in the Old Covenant, okay? So Ishmael's born. Well, 15 years later, or 13, 14 years later, somewhere in there, Isaac's born. So the promise was still fulfilled by God, even though they made a mistake. There was consequences to that mistake they made, but it didn't affect the fact that God still fulfilled his promise, because that's who he is. He fulfills his promise in our lives. So you're not being punished in your waiting. That's not what God's doing. Now, sometimes we will mistake a trial or a test in our life for punishment. Now, th and this is, where, this is where you really have to understand the Word of God. You have to understand God's character to know that there are times that God's waiting because he's testing us. And I know in the church, we don't like to talk about God testing, and I feel like I talk about it a lot, but it's because I am very passionate about it because when I see in the Word is that God tests us all the time. Amen. We just want to talk about how, you know, God just loves us, and He just has grace, and everything's good, and, and He just loves you and me so much, and that's, that's what we just want to talk about. Of course He does, but it doesn't escape, it doesn't change the fact that the Bible's very clear that He tests us constantly. And that may be what you're going through as you wait. You know, Peter tells us that God tests the genuineness of our faith. He literally tests the genuine. That's New Testament. God tests the genuineness of our faith. He, he, he allows things in our life to test us because he wants us to see those situations and learn from them and grow from them. In fact, Peter also says that God tests us like fire tests gold, like fire purifies gold. You know, the same fire that consumes straw or wood purifies gold. And we're compared to gold in that passage. It's in, I think it's in 1 Peter. He says that God tests us. He purifies us as fire purifies gold. Well, to purify gold, you have to put some heat to it. So there's times God will put some heat to us and he'll test us and he'll put us through trials because he, is, he has a plan and a purpose. He's trying to get us to this place. And God will do that. And we have to understand that sometimes. Sometimes the thing you're going through is a test from God. And when it's God testing you, you need to be able to say, okay, God, show me what you want to show me in this. I'm your, I'm your vessel. I am whatever you want me to be. Here I am. Show me. And sometimes it's from the enemy. And if it's from the enemy, you need to rebuke it and put it under your feet. Amen. But when it's from God, you're not getting rid of it. And we need to be able to rest in it and not, um, not think that God's punishing you, but that he's actually helping you to grow in your situation that you're in. Amen? Amen? Don't ever believe the lie that God's punishing you, and that's why you're waiting. It's not who he is. Amen. Um, okay, so I want to conclude with, with one more thing, and I'll finish right on time. I want to give you one more theory as to why God makes us wait. And I, I, I'm just going to say that I believe it's because God has called us to greatness. You guys believe God has called us to be great? Now, not the kind of greatness that the world says. Not, not necessarily the, the, the power and the riches and all those things, but greatness biblically. In fact, Jesus says, if you want to be great, you have to be a servant. He doesn't, he doesn't cut us down for wanting to be great. He didn't say, like, you shouldn't want to be great. You should just want to be humble. He's saying, if you want to be great, fine. Greatness is measured in how much of a servant you are. But God has called us to greatness. And Jim Collins, the author, he coined the phrase that good is the enemy of great. And too many times we as believers are willing to settle for good in our life when God is saying, no, I want you to be great. And we have to be very careful not to allow ourselves to settle for good. And, and when I'm talking about settling for good, I'm saying if, if God gives us 
an answer to something that we want really badly, but he gives it to us too soon, it'll be good. It can be good, but it won't be great. I, I think about the fact if I would have taken that job in Ohio as a youth pastor, I think it would have been good. It would probably been good. I would have I would have been able to share the love of Jesus with a bunch of kids up there, and it been it would have been good, but it wouldn't have been great because it wouldn't have been what God wanted. And so we are too often willing to settle for good in our lives. You know, AT&T is doing an ad campaign right now. You may have seen it. Something to the effect of um, just okay isn't good enough. And they're doing these commercials. and They're all really funny. I think the, the most recent one, it's like a mom and her kid are getting on a ride at a fair. And the guy, that, the worker is, is strapping them in with like duct tape because the, the lever's broke. And the mom looks at him and goes, uh, is this safe? And the guy says, I mean, I think it's okay. I put it together last night myself. And the kid asked the guy, well, what happened? What do you guys do if somebody gets hurt? He said, oh, we just move on to the next town. And of course, the mom and kid are like tearing the duct tape to get out of the ride as the commercial's ending. And then they say, you know, like, okay isn't good isn't enough in an amusement park ride. It shouldn't be enough for your cell service either. It's a great campaign because I'm like, that's true. Man, when I pick up my cell phone, it better work. You ever try to make a call and it says no service? Ooh, that's just, mm, what am I paying for, you know? Like, we expect our phones to work. If you load a video, it better load within five seconds. And, you know, we want excellence. We want greatness with our cell phone service. We're willing to pay a little extra a lot of times to have that. But for some reason, we're willing to settle for average or good in our relationship with the Lord. And it should not be that way. God is making us wait oftentimes because he wants greatness. Because on the other side of waiting is greatness. And if greatness is measured by our relationship with him and our love for him and our, our standing on his word and, and having that faith that, that can move mountains, that faith that can stand firm no matter what comes our way, then that's the greatness I want. Then we should be willing to wait. If I know that's what God's doing, then I say, okay, God, make me wait. I'm good. I mean, I wish it was faster, but I trust you because I want to be great. I want my situation to be great. I want it to be exactly what you want. I want to be in your will more than I want to be in my own will. Because frankly, it's all about you anyway, right? It's all about him. And we, have, we, we as believers have got to get to that place where we really believe that, that it's really all about him and not about us. We have to get there, church. The, the American church is much too much about ourselves and God just blessing us and not, and not understanding that living a Christian life is about laying your life down. It's about dying. Paul said, no longer I, but Christ. That's a powerful statement. It's not about me anymore. I, I was telling the first service, every Sunday that I preach, I am back in my office early in the morning and I am praying and I am praying the same thing every time, at least part of it. And I'm saying, dear God, please, please, please don't let this be about me. Don't let me ever make this about me and how good I am at preaching or how bad I am at preaching, depending on who you are. I don't want it to be about me. I want, I want it to be all about you. And I know myself well enough that if I let myself, I will make it about me. I'm not above that. But I'm always praying, God, this is about you. I pray that every person in this church today is touched in a powerful way and their life is changed. And when they go out, they tell everybody about it. And when they say, well, who's the preacher? They say, I don't know. But man, God touched my heart. And that's, that's my desire. That's my prayer. That should be all of our prayers in our life is that, God, whatever I'm doing, it's not about me. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I'm trying to make a name for you. I'm trying to make your name great. I don't care about my name being great. And if we understand that the greatness is really about that depth of relationship with him, then let's wait, church. Let's just wait. Let's wait on God. Let's be actively waiting, but let's wait for God because we can trust him in that. Amen?
All right, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I close. just want to share one, one other illustration, and then I'm going to pray for us. Um, you know, in that season that Joy and I had where we were out of ministry for a while, vocational ministry, uh, we actually had a building company, building houses for about 13 years. And if you know what builders do now, they don't do anything anymore. They just call people and have them come do things. And uh, we subcontract everything. And what I found very quickly in building was that if I needed, a, let's say, a painter, I could, there was one painter, there was a painter I could call that did okay work, and I could probably call him, and he could probably come right away and paint my house. And he would do okay. But then there was this other guy that was really good. He was, he was great. He had a spirit of excellence about his work. If I call him, he's going to say, yeah, I'll come paint it, but you're going to have to wait about three weeks because I'm busy. And so you come, to that, you come to that crossroads. It happened all the time, like every couple days it felt like in building. Where I'm like, okay, am I going to settle or am I going to wait? Am I going to just do enough to get by or am I going to, or am I going to wait and have excellence? And I learned quickly in building that homeowners, for the most part, were willing to wait if they knew it was going to be done better. If I called them and said, hey, the house is going to sit for two weeks because I got to wait for, my, for this painter, but he's really good, every time they're like, no problem because we want it to be nice, because this is a big investment for us. But there's a reason that the really good subcontractors were so busy and you had to wait for them, because they were really, really good. They were great. But if you just wanted to kind of get by and just get the house done, you can get a house done in three months if you're just willing to take whoever will come out and do it. But you're going to have, you're going to be pulling your hair out. It's going to go gray first, and then you're going to pull it out. And then you're going to run around sometimes like a crazy person and wonder what you're doing with your life. But if you, if you use those, those guys that are excellent, that have, you know, that have a good sense and want to do good work and actually care about what they're doing, it's going to take you longer. But it's worth it in the end. Because the product you put out is a lot better than one of those houses that, that gets built by the, the guy that can get there the quickest and do it the cheapest. Amen? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You bought, bought a house in that setting. And so I made, it, I made up my mind very quickly that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell customers right off the bat, it's going to take me a little longer, but I promise you when we're done, you're going to like it. And I never one time had any problem with that. But that's how our life is too, guys. Like if we really want to have greatness, if we really want to be walking in the will of God and walking in a way that, that we're allowing God to order our steps and, and, and uh, take us through the process, we're going to see, we're going to have that greatness in our life. You're going to have that renewed strength. You're going to be able to soar up with wings as eagles. You're going to be able to make Isaiah 40, 30 look like, that's me. But we have to be unwilling to settle or take matters into our own hands and be willing to trust God and wait for him. We wait expectingly, we wait trustingly, we wait patiently, and we wait actively because that's who he is. That's what he's called us to do, and he's worth it. And the fruit we get in the end is so much better when we're willing to take those steps. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for all of us because I know we're all waiting. Every last one of us. I'm just going to pray over you, and I just ask you to just open your heart and receive let the Lord work in your, in your heart, even as you're at your seat today. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for your character, that we can stand on who you are, God. You're so worthy of our lives, Lord. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. God, I, we lay down our lives for you. Lord, we don't want to just, we don't want to add you to our life. We want you to have our life. 
And God, as we wait for you, Lord, I ask that you would help each and every one of us to wait in a way that will honor you, that we would wait expectingly, that we will wait trustingly and actively, and that we will stand on your word. We will pursue you as we wait, Lord. We will prepare our soil so that when that promise grows up, comes to fruition, it'll be coming up in good soil and it'll produce a wonderful harvest in our lives. Help us to wait for you, Lord. And God, we just stand today and we just, we, uh, uh, we, we look at the, the, uh, the lies of the enemy and we just ask God that you would expose those lies in our lives, that we would see them for what they are, that they're lies out of the pit of hell. And we, you'd help us, Lord, to put them under our feet because that's where Satan belongs and you've given us the authority to put him under our feet. So we do that today in the name of Jesus. The lies that he has spoken to everyone in this room, Lord, we expose them in the name of Jesus and we replace them with the truth. You should be, you've not forgotten them. They're not having to, to wait longer than anybody else and you're not punishing them. But you have a plan and you're taking us on a journey. And we thank you, Lord, that your truth will reign in our hearts. Let it reign in every one of our hearts, God. For your glory, Jesus, it's all about you. It's not about us. It's about you, Lord. And we'll thank you for it. And I pray you would seal the work you've done in our hearts today. Seal it by your spirit, Lord, that it cannot be plucked out by the enemy. Lord, that as we get out to the parking lot and go to lunch, that we will not let the lies come back in. That we will remember your word today. And we will stand on your truth today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and into the future until we see your promises fulfilled in our lives. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it. And everyone said, amen, amen. Praise God. Yeah.